Let's look at God's Word. First John chapter 3. This morning we're looking at verses 4 through 10. It's another one of those stories in the Bible. Many people have had a hard time believing. It's a story about sin Christians cannot commit. Let's look at it. First John chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. We live in an I can culture. I can do this, I can do that. I can't do it now, I can figure out how to do it. We don't like to be told about stuff we cannot do. But there are plenty of things we cannot do. We have to accept that as well. I mean, I had to accept a long time ago, I cannot dunk a basketball. You know, unless I've got a trampoline, then I'm likely to kill myself. Just stuff I cannot do, and we don't like to accept it. But I can't, cannot bring up the weak by tearing down the strong. I cannot help the poor by taking from the rich. Lots of things we cannot do. I cannot get to heaven without Jesus Christ as my Savior and my mediator. I cannot strengthen the body of Christ without the Word of God, without the Holy Spirit, without Christ in me. There are things we cannot do. And this is a passage that says, as believers, we cannot continue sinning. That's something we just cannot do. And there are a lot of people who struggle with that. So it's intriguing, isn't it? Especially... Look back a couple chapters. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. Okay, so we do sin. That's not what he's saying in chapter 3. Do you sin? No, we do sin, but we don't keep on sinning. There is sin in our lives, but the practice of sin is something we cannot do. I don't know about you, but that's exciting for me. It's intriguing. It's a little difficult sometimes to, to grasp and understand, but it's exciting that I could be in a realm 
I could be a person that's not constantly in bondage to sin. That I'm not known for my, for, for my sin, for, for my sinful nature. Rather, I'm known for the righteousness of God. Let's look at it. First of all, the impossibility of Christians in sin. And then I want you to see the impracticality of it. But first, the impossibility of Christians in sin. We think, oh, it's very, very possible we're going to keep on sinning. And yet, that's not what the Scriptures say. Uh, to wrestle with this, many people have come up with lots of different ways. And that's what I want to do. I want to spend about a few minutes on just five things people have ways they've tried to interpret the Scripture here and say, well, what it's talking about is the sins we cannot commit are the ultra-sins. Uh, even the Roman Catholics created categories, like there's venial sins and mortal sins. So th there's kind of normal sins, and there's just out there, ultra-sins. Well, yes, Certain sins are more heinous than others as far as their consequences. We get that. But those categories discount people God uses that are clearly Christians. I mean, if you take what, what would be more heinous than, than murder, than adultery, fornication? King David committed all of that as a believer. Uh, and continues ministry afterwards. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he was, he was known for murdering the church. Getting mobs together to go throw people in jail and hopefully get them stoned. He was standing there approving of Stephen's stoning. I mean, if that's not uh, in the ultra-sin category, what is? And a believer committed it. Well... Not Saul was an unbeliever at the time, but continued on in many sins. Well, so the category is that's not in the scripture that what we're talking about is Christians just don't commit the ultra sins. Uh, John makes no distinction here between sins. Second, Christians, so Christians can commit an ultra sin. Christians can commit an unauthorized sin. Some people have created categories that are talking about sin that's okay and sin that's not okay. It's unauthorized. Uh, I don't see those categories. There's no sin that's authorized by God. That if even little sins, if God would take the view that, ah, that's okay, I, we won't worry about that, then why does He chasten us for them? Why the, why the, the, the Hebrews 12 passes, um, go back and look at that a little bit. Uh, Hebrews 12, down about verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens every son whom he receives. God says, I'm a loving father. You mess up. I'm coming to chasten you. And don't take that lightly. Sin matters. So even little sin matters to God. He wants it out of us. He wants us to be rid of it. Um, even taking the Lord's Supper, there's the warning. 
Be careful to examine yourself first, lest in eating and drinking some of you get sick and weak and die. God warns us, you can sin doing good stuff. And it's not okay. There's the warning and there's consequences. So Christians can commit ultra sin. Christians can commit what the world might say, oh, that's an okay, that's a little sin. That's just, you know, not really authorized, but it's unauthorized, but it's okay. No, I don't think that category works either. Another way people have dealt with this is they say Christians have to distinguish between natural and unnatural sin, uh, between more like old nature and new nature. Oh, well, that's your old nature. That's your, your flesh coming out there. Uh, in your new nature, you wouldn't be doing that. And trying to interpret this passage between old natures and new nature. Sin is never a part of our new nature. Once we are part of Christ, Christ in us only births righteousness not sin. Um, We're responsible to turn from our unrighteousness, to lay aside what's in the past and to put on the new. How about another category? Christians can commit unholy sin. Again, we're just playing with words and categories here. It was a 19th century version of, I first heard about when we were singing that song, uh, Oh Perfect Love, and I said, Well, that'd be cool if we could have a perfect love. But there was this view that Christians could reach a stage of perfection. We could reach a holiness level that put us really as first-class Christians, not sinning anymore Christians, and those who continued to sin. And that's been a way that that's what we should strive for, for that state of perfection, that state of holiness where sin never again happens. Well, the problem with that is as soon as it happens again, well, th- you've fallen away. And you need again to be born again. And that just messes with so much doctrine that's not consistent with the Scriptures. Well, another category, number five, Christians can commit unanticipated sin. Well, you didn't know it was going to happen. It wasn't willful. It wasn't intentional. It just happened. It's only involuntary Well, if it's involuntary, why do we even need to confess it? And how can we possibly seek deliverance from it when we don't even know it's going to happen? Uh, Those categories don't seem to work as well. What the Scripture is clearly saying over and over and over, uh, I didn't have the time to to really go back in the original language and look at this, but this is my first time through the Bible in the ESV, the English Standard Version, which we've bought all of you copies of. It's really strong in this translation. All but one of these verses speaks of practicing sin. Let me go back through it again. Verse uh, 4. Everyone who makes a practice. So this is continual tense. You're sinning. Practice of sinning. Always practices lawlessness. Verse 5. You know that he he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Um, that's the only verse that doesn't mention it. Verse 5, verse 6. No one who, who abides in him keeps on sinning. It's the practice of sinning. Verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. So again, mentions the practice. Verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. 
Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness. So the description of the sinning that's going on here is a practice of sinning. It's a habit of doing the same thing over and over again as though you were never delivered from sin at all. Christians can't do that. Because Christians are delivered. Christians are set free. We're unleashed from bondage. We're not in a state of constant recovery. We're free. We're unleashed. We're unbound. The past is past. What lies in front of us is a newness in Christ. We reckon sin dead. Sin has been mortified. And we walk now in the newness of life in a new and righteous way. We cannot practice sin. It's flushed out. Um, I can commit an ultra sin. I can commit an unauthorized sin. I can commit an unholy sin. I can commit an unanticipated sin. I can commit those. But I cannot practice sin. That's the distinction we have here. Cannot practice sin. Why? Verse 8. Because whoever makes that their practice, practice of sinning is of the devil. You're not a believer. Your father, your master is the devil. He is not God. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's his nature. That's what he does. He sins as a practice. Uh, you know, if I had been in prison, a physical prison cell, for years and years and years and years, and then I'm released. It'd be like saying, now you can't live like a prisoner. Absolutely not. I'm free. To live like a prisoner is to go back into the cell. To be locked up. To be fed their meals. To do their work. Whatever it is. There's no freedom. I cannot live as a prisoner to sin anymore. That's not who I am. I'm freed. I'm released. I'm out of that bondage. I don't have to say yes to the devil. I say yes to Christ. That's my practice. That's where I live. That's what I do. That's what I think. That's who I am. I am not of the devil. I am of Christ. Evident, he says. Evident by verse 10. This is evidence, obvious. We should know this. And yet... That seems to be something we struggle with. How can this be? Well, because sin's, and I'll give you three reasons here coming up. Sin is incompatible with Christ's law. It's not compatible with Christ's life, and it's not compatible with Christian living. First of all, the law of God. Sin, verse 4 says, sin is lawlessness. That's why you don't practice sin as a believer, because sin is lawlessness. Totally incompatible with our life. Um, Christ, why did Christ come into the world? Matthew 1, verse 18. 
Call his name Jesus because he is our Savior. He is coming to the world to take away our sin. Sin is lawlessness. Christ has come to take, to take away our lawlessness. And in doing so, what does he do? He puts his law within our heart. It would be incompatible now for us to live as though the law of God was not on our heart. As though we were still in a state of lawlessness, ignoring against the law of God. Uh, do we disregard the law of God? Non-Christian, Christian. Non-Christian, you know the law of God. We've memorized the Ten Commandments together. So just in your mind, let's go through the Ten Commandments briefly. Law of God. Non-Christian. First three commands, you know, no other gods, no idols. Speak well of God for God. So first three commands. Non-Christian doesn't regard the worship of God. He doesn't even think about whether he has the one true God as his God or not. He's, he's God as far as he's concerned. Non-Christian does not regard worship a priority, the worship of the one true God, has many other gods. The, the, the non-Christian doesn't think how his speech either honors or dishonors God. Doesn't clean that up. Fourth commandment, the non-Christian doesn't think about the Sabbath day as a delight. Can't wait for the first day of the week and to reset, refresh in Christ. That's not the way the non-Christian lives. Fifth commandment, honor. Father and mother and authority. Emphasis on family. Non-Christians, you don't see them there rarely now. Sixth commandment, respect of life. Seventh commandment, respect of marriage. Uh, purity, sexual holiness. You begin to see the non-Christians, you go to the eighth commandment, I can go all through, all the way through, stealing and the ninth commandment, doesn't speak against his neighbor, doesn't tear people down to build himself up. Um, tenth commandment, no coveting. Doesn't seek other things content with what God's given him. Non-Christians say, yeah, they don't regard those things. Sin is lawlessness. They live in lawlessness. They are bound to sin. The Christian said, I can't keep practicing that lifestyle. Because I've been released from it. And now the law of God has changed me. Completely changed me. Now I have different priorities, different mindset, different lifestyle altogether. Living apart from the law of God's practical atheism. That's what it is. As a believer, we live according to the law of God. Let me, let me show you a couple of verses. Look at Hebrews 10. This is what happens when Christ gets a hold of us. Hebrews 10. Verse 16. Hebrews 10, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Uh, go back chapter 8, verse 10. Hebrews 8, verse 10. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds 
and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God says, I, I, I've created a new covenant, a new agreement. This one works. We're not talking old covenant. We're talking new covenant. In the new covenant, he says, the law will be on your heart. Your heart will be filled with my will, my way. And you will start walking in my way because that's what your heart, that's what will come out of your heart. Because I've released you from sin, you will now want one true God. You will now want no idols. You will now want to speak in my honor. You will now want to keep the Sabbath day a delight. You will now want to honor father and mother. You will now not want to murder. You will now want to protect the sanctity of marriage and purity and sexual purity. You will now not want to steal or take from others because God's your provider. You will now not speak against Christ in this church. You will build them up. You will now not covet. You are content with your Savior and all He provides. That's who you are. That's the way you walk. Christians don't do it any other way. That's what 1 John 3 is saying. That's our way. Walk in it. And that's what we do. Do we sometimes sin? Yes. But that's not our practice. Our practice is walking consistent with the law of God. Because walking consistent with sin would be lawlessness. It's incompatible with our hearts. Our hearts bleed obedience to the Word of God, to the law. Not because that earns us anything. It's just that's who we are now. We're sons of God. Children of God who have been given a new heart. And that heart is the law of God. That's, that was the agreement. That was the new covenant that God has for us. It's impossible for us to practice Lawlessness. Now think about it just a little time. There's a discipleship class now. Just been dealing with Psalm 119 and some other things. Um, recommend it highly. Let me, let me just take you through Psalm 119 real fast on law. I won't say it all. There's a lot there. But let's, let me just give you a quick survey so that you begin to feel this. Psalm 119 verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. That's our way. We have a blameless now, that we didn't have before. If we're convicted of sin, we are ashamed of it. We hate it. We want to turn from it. We want this blameless way. What is it? Psalm 119, verse 1 starts. Who walk in the law of the Lord? That's the blameless way. Look at verse 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. That's an understanding way. The law of God gets us there. Um, verse 53, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. We don't do that. Verse 70, our heart is, uh, their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It's God's law. That's my delight. Verse 77, let your verse mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Uh, verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 
Psalm, uh, verse 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Verse 163. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Verse 174. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. God's law has been put on our heart. It's our love. It's our passion. It's our direction. It's our wisdom. It's our delight. Be incompatible with us to have a practice of lawlessness. Completely contrary to the gospel work that Christ has done in our life to take us out of sin and darkness and bondage to sin and the devil, release us, and then put His law in our heart. Second, sin's not only incompatible with Christ's law, it's incompatible with Christ's life. Christ came to do what? He came to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 8 of 1 John 3. Again, verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. Here's the Christmas message. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy. So the reason He came was to destroy the works of the devil. Christ's mission, I want to destroy lawlessness. I want to redeem my people from lawlessness. I want to destroy the one who is seeking to rule this world without the law of God. That's Satan. He cares nothing, has no regard for the law of God. Matter of fact, he tries to thwart it every chance he gets. Christ comes with a mission, and that mission is to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen or known him. See, Christians, we don't keep on sinning because we have seen and known Christ. We were born seeing and knowing the devil. But Christ says, I'm, I'm destroying that. And giving you new life, and that life is in Christ. Um, if we continue in sin, then Christ's work is useless. So we wouldn't do that. That's not going to be our life. Uh, said it many times. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. One of the best verses in all of Scripture. To, to know, meditate on. Lead you into worship. Second Corinthians five twenty one says, "For our sake, he made him speaking of Christ. For, for our sake, he made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. His work was to take our sin." And to give us his righteousness. And that's what he did. Be totally incompatible for us to keep on sinning as though he never took it. To, keep, and to not practice righteousness as though he never gave it. Because he's done both. That was his work. To take our sin and to give us his righteousness. That's the way we live. And that's what 1 John 3 is saying. You know... 
there's this thing called sanctification where we're dying to sin day by day and getting more and more righteous, yes. But there's a transfer of sanctification past. There's a sanctification present that we are in Christ. He, we have been sanctified in Christ. We have been given a new life of being righteous in Christ. Again, it doesn't mean we don't sin. Um, we dressed up my youngest son for church one Sunday morning. This is when we lived over on Shackleburg Road. We had a creek through our front yard. And we messed up. I mean, we shouldn't have dressed him 20 minutes early. You know, the, this was one you'd, you'd get him clean just before you go out the door. But we dressed him t- too early. And so once we realized that, we said, Now, you're free to move about the cabin, but do not go to the creek. Because we know if you go to the creek, you're in the creek. And it's wet and it's muddy, and we got to go. Yes, sir, got it. You know, just before we're ready to go, 19 minutes later, he's back, mud, water, all over. I said, I thought I told you not to go to the creek. I said, I did not go in the creek. Well, why are you so muddy and wet? He said, Daddy, I did not go in the creek. Okay, but why are you so muddy and wet? He said, the ground wiggled. I don't know if you've ever seen a rock slide or a mud slide, but he was in one, okay? The ground wiggled, and there he is. Yes, we fall into sin, but we don't wallow in it. We get cleaned up. We don't practice it. We live the righteous life that God has called us to again and again. And the reason is because Christ is not only our warrior fighting for us, He's our victor over sin. And He has released us from that life. Third, not only is living in sin incompatible with Christ's law in us, Christ's life in us, it's incompatible with just Christian living. Verses 5 through 10 of 1 John 3 all speak of a life that distinguishes Christians from non-Christians. And then it gets down to verse 10 and says, by this it is evident. It's obvious. Why is it today we seem to think, I'm not sure if he's a Christian or not. You know, it's hard to determine whether somebody's a Christian or not. And I hear that all the time, and yet the scripture right here says, no, it's not hard. This is not difficult. By this, it's obvious. It's evident. You just look at the evidence. You just look at the fruit. You you just look at the life, the living of a person. Maybe you don't know because you just met them, but if you are able to see them live, it's obvious. It becomes evident whether they're Christian or not. It's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. One practices righteousness and one practices sin. How could that be hard or difficult? And it's because we've gotten away from this, perhaps, that that we struggle with it. Uh, If Christ has redeemed somebody, if Christ's blood has really covered your sins, if the Holy Spirit indwells you, if you have a new heart with God's law 
on that heart, it's impossible for someone not to know. It's obvious. You once were a non-believer, now you are a believer. It's evident. And there's no doubt about it. You can see from the new birth that's ours in Christ. Verse 9, it says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for the God's seed abides in him. God is in us, and it's, He's growing. We're becoming more and more like Him. And that becomes more and more and more obvious as anyone sees you living the life you live. Matter of fact, you, you know the church uh, discipline passage, Matthew 18, where it says, if a brother sins against you, it's Matthew 18, verse 15, if you need to look it up. Uh, if a brother sins against you, you go and you say, you know, that's offensive to me, what you just did. Here's the chapter, here's the verse in the Bible that, that, that I believe says what you were doing is inappropriate, it's wrong, it's sin. It's contrary to the law of God. And that's why it bothers me. And they say, uh, I disagree. You say, oh, okay. Hmm. Well, you pray and you go back and you, you talk to, to, to another brother or sister. Say, I, I confronted him about it. He said he disagreed. He didn't think he was sinning at all. And you say, I really think he does. And this other brother said, yeah, that's definitely sin. Okay, well, you go with me. Now we've got two witnesses saying, no, uh, you sinned. And they said, well, I disagree. Oh, what do we do? And so those two then go to the elders and say, to their teachers in the church, say, are we wrong? I mean, to us, living that way is incompatible with the law of Christ, the life of Christ, and the, the, the life that God's given us. And the elders say, no, you're right. That's definitely a sin. And so then all three... Go to that person and say, no, it's definitely sin. And the guy says, well, I disagree. Then what? The elders put him out of the church. Because it's obvious. He doesn't have the gift of faith and repentance. He doesn't embrace the law of God. He embraces lawlessness. He doesn't want to turn from sin to righteousness. He wants to stay in the sin. And it's obvious the church should be church. And not people who say they're Christians, but live like non-Christians. And we get in that stage sometimes of just letting everybody who wants to say they're Christian, okay, you're Christian. As though it doesn't matter. And God says, no, it does matter. Everyone who is of Christ practices righteousness, not lawlessness. And we need to maintain the distinction that is very evident and very obvious. Uh, Galatians 5 gives you the distinction in a different way, in a, in a very clear way. It sh shares, let me, let me share some deeds of the non-Christian and deeds of the Christian so that you can see the contrast and see that it's, it's not uh, less obvious at all. It's very obvious. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. But, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're, un, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh. So here's, here's the non-Christian first. 
The works of the flesh, again, notice this word, are evident. This is obvious stuff. You don't need more education to see this. You just, you know it. The works of the flesh, so the non-Christian are, and he says, sexual immorality. You know people who are living together? Over 50% of our population now uh, of adult age are living together. Saying, it's okay. We're just, we're just consensual, having consensual sex, that's all. It's obvious, it's evident. We know who they are. Uh, works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of angers, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So this is not a complete list of lawlessness. But I warn you, as I warned you, Before, that those who do such things, they don't go to heaven. And this is obvious. They can say they're Christians and going to heaven. They don't. They're not. It's obvious. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, so not the non-Christian, now the Christian, the Spirit is in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There's no law. Why? Because they're lawful. They, they are, that's the law of God being fleshed out in our life. And don't miss, it's obvious. It's evident. This is something you don't need a lot of sense to figure out. Uh, so think through the, the commands again. You know, as, as I was praying through some of the application here, I said, God, I... I've spent time to understand the text. But what's the the clear application in our church, in our day, in our time, in our nation, in our culture? And we're living in a time where so many people will just say, "Ah, you can say that, but that doesn't happen. I don't see anybody practicing righteousness. And you can't say who's a Christian or not Christian. You're not supposed to judge. Even though the scripture says it's evident. I'm not saying you judge. You're not sending them to hell and you're not sending them to heaven. We're definitely not the judge, but it's obvious who, have, who are practicing righteousness and who are practicing sin and lawlessness. It's also obvious that in the church, there's going to be what Christ said in his parable of the wheat and the tares, you're going to have both, wheat and tares. It's kind of like in my, gar- my yard, I've got grass and I've got weeds. In a garden, you've got crop and you've got weeds. You're going to have them both, and they're going to grow together. And if you try to pull one out because you want more of the other, a lot of times you will pull both up. But Christ says, so let, let them grow together, but it's obvious. you got two different kinds. It doesn't cease to be obvious because you let them grow in the same building or in the same group. It's still obvious. If it's become obvious to you this morning that you've been asleep at the wheel, 
And you've not been living righteousness. You've been content to do your own thing. I just want you to see you need Christ. Christ came to take away your sin. Not to leave you in it. Christ came to release you from the prison house of sin and Satan's domain. Why would you stay in bondage if Christ can free you? Trust Christ as a Savior He is to release us from sin, to forgive us of sin, to pardon us from sin, to cleanse us from sin, and to give us a new life consistent with His life, consistent with those in glory. That's an obvious conclusion is that we need Christ to be freed from sin. One of the news outlets I like to use uh, because it gives me a different perspective is Daily Mail. It's Brit- British news because it looks at America. I love, look, they will bring up the Ukraine-Russian war and other stuff and from a perspective we don't get here. And so I'll, I'll glance through that. Well, I assume it used to be the London Mail back in the 40s. And as the owner of the London Mail um, was, was starting this news outlet, he was concerned to only give facts and give them accurately. So he, he was just beating himself up of, over a newspaper at that point that had errors in it. And he kept going to his staff, how do I get rid of the errors? How do I get rid of the errors? Y'all need to do this, this, this. We've got to get rid of the errors. We want factual reporting. And so he gave incentives. He gave vacations. He gave bonuses. He gave all sorts of things. If you can get your section to be without error, kept having errors. It just bothered him, bothered him, bothered him. And then one day he came up with this great idea. And the idea was he got all of his staff together. He says, this is it. The very first copy of the London Mail we are going to hand deliver to His Majesty the King. And we're going to make it on special paper. And and we're going to tell Him, this is the first copy, it's yours, special paper, because you're our King. So they started, they told everybody, that's what we're going to do. Reset the, the, the machines after you get the first copy. We can't make the rest of them in this fancy paper, but this first copy... Goes to the king as soon as it's off the press. Then make all the rest. He said as soon as he implemented that plan, there was a 90% reduction in errors. And the only thing he did different is deliver the first copy to the king. When I read that and thought about that, I thought, and my life is different. Because not only am I going to be delivered to the king. But as Jonathan already read in Isaiah 6, I have seen the king. And I know the king. And when I saw him, I saw I was sinful. And he pardoned me. And he cleansed me. And he's preparing me to be without spot or blemish. I cannot be the same. There's easily a 90% reduction in the sin in my life. Because I see the king. And that's who I live for. And that's who I long for. Those who love and live for Christ are obviously different.
than those who are not. Let's pray together. Father, in a world that wants to believe fake stories all the time, in a world that's living in fantasy, thank you for truth. That there is darkness, there is light, there is sin and bondage, and there's pardon and there's freedom. There's the devil and there's Christ. There's hell, there's heaven. May we be a people who know the difference, who trust Christ as our only hope and help. May our kids growing up know the difference. Father, may you be glorified because of the difference. May we see in this place more and more Christ and less and less of us. He must increase and we must decrease. We ask, O oh Lord, use your word like a sword to pierce, to divide, to teach, instruct to conform us to Christ's image, to sanctify us in Christ, to lead us from sin to Christ. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.